Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. We are um, two messages today and next week from concluding uh, a series that I intended to be four messages uh, using Israel's exile as a metaphor for trying to understand what it is we've been dealing with with this COVID thing. And, uh, and all that uh, goes with it. And uh, the four messages uh, kind of grew into 14. So this is number 13 of number 14 um, of uh, a series in which we began to uh, think about going into exile as Israel did. And I, I subtitled that one, The Church Has Left the Building. And for some churches, I guess they're still not in their building. And, uh, and that's their decision and choice, and we respect that. But uh, then, then we talked about grieving exile, you know, things, thinking about the things that we miss and that we've lost. And, and uh, just like Israel did by the rivers of Babylon, they, they wept and people tried to get them to sing and they didn't uh, feel like singing. Their hearts weren't in it. We feel like singing. Uh, our hearts would be fully in it. And yet, uh, here we are. Uh, you guys are uh, totally in compliance. And don't we all hate it? Yes, we do, but we do it because it's the wise thing to do. And so we'll do it until we don't have to anymore. Uh, Then we thought about uh, settling in for exile's new normal. Like Israel was told, this is going to be 70 years. It's not going to be over uh, soon. And so, uh, you know what? You need to settle down, settle in, pray for your community, bless your community, uh, do all you can in support of it, and just know that I know the plans I have for you to prosper and bless you and give you a hopeful future. And when 70 days are, or 70 years are up, well, you're going to begin to, to see that happen. You're going to pray, and I'm going to let you find me, and it's, it's going to be good. And uh, during that whole time, we find people like Daniel and his uh, Hebrew buddies learning what it was to serve God in someone else's country while in exile. And the uh, first half of the book of Daniel has some incredibly good stories that, that help us understand our role as those who really are, in biblical terms, exiles. Uh, uh, this world is not my home, although it is, but as the old song said, we're passing through. But we're not passing through in the sense of we're going to leave this old world behind and it's like it's, uh, you know... Someone uh, said, I think it was John MacArthur said, this is a disposable planet, and I take issue with that. This is not a disposable planet. This is God's creation. He intends to make this world new again. But uh, regardless, we're exiles serving God and, in a sense, someone else's country because our citizenship is heaven, but taking our cues from people like Daniel uh, and his buddies, uh, we would do well. And we talked about returning from exile and now rebuilding after exile. And we've been, uh, for the last three Sundays, uh, in the book of Haggai, two to go. And this one's going to be a little different. You're going to go, what in the world could the text that I'll read to you in a, in a bit have to do with anything? <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll answer that question. If not, um, find yourself a new pastor. That's, you know, that's what you'll have to do. But... Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, on with it. Rebuilding after exile. 
We're going to be talking about how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? How do we get from God's vision for us to the realization uh, of that vision? Just, just question, what, what's the vision, your vision for your life? What's your vision for life? Now, if you're younger, anybody younger here? It might be a few. <laughs> you know, what's, what's your vision? Uh, it might be to pursue a certain vocation. Uh, uh, well, what, what, what will it take to get you to that uh, realization from, from the vision? You have to ask questions. Is, is it realistic? I used to think sitting in the dentist chair that uh, I wouldn't mind being a dentist. You know, I, I could be a great dentist. And I thought about all you had to do, put your hands in people's mouths and, and uh, do really good in science and math, and found that that was not a realistic vision. It was a nice idea, but it wasn't realistic. Is it realistic, the vision that you have, regardless of how ambitious it might be? Does it fit well with your passion, your abilities, and will there be sufficient resources to get you from here to there? You know, what will... What will you commit to? What will you perhaps set aside in pursuit of that vision? Speaking of ambitious visions, <laughs> President Kennedy in 61 or 62 uh, articulated a bold vision that uh, he believed that his country ought to you know, go to the moon before the end of the decade. And there must have been people sitting in the crowd going, this man's cracked. It's not going to happen. But, you know, the question was, was it realistic in the end? Uh, were there sufficient resources and brilliant people and those willing to even risk their lives to see it to reality? And there were three astronauts uh, uh, who perished in a, in a test of the Apollo capsule. And so some, some paid a very serious and ultimate price for this ambitious vision. So, I mean, the thing is, great, how do, how do we get there? Uh, it turns out the answer was, yes, we can get there. Uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, unless you've bought into the conspiracy theories that the moon landing really didn't happen and all of that, and we're not even going to touch that today, all of stuff being fake. Now, so in our own day, we have Operation Warp Speed, which is all about um, producing... Uh, safe and effective vaccines for COVID. And whatever you might think about how this is being pursued, it's at very least an ambitious vision. And time will tell how quickly and how safely this can be done without, without it being a rush job and corners being cut and so on. But what will it take? It'll take people like that. People who are highly capable, motivated, hard at work to bring this vision of uh, safe vaccines into reality. So, uh, you know, we can have our own specific visions for our lives or great national visions, but let's also recognize that as followers of Jesus, we take his vision as foundational and fundamental to anything else that we may dream of. And uh, he indeed had a vision, God did, for these returned and rebuilding exiles who were heeding the voice of the prophets, but yet we're having to confront some measure of disappointment. We talked last week about uh, how do you deal with the disappointment of those who look at this new uh, construction and say, this is nothing like what we had before. I don't think I like it very much. And as we've regathered, you know, there are aspects of this that we don't like very much. 
having to sit so far apart and, and, and all of that stuff, having to have only half a face. But we deal with it, deal with the disappointment, and move on. But how, do you, how did you know, these people had to deal with all that? And to those who didn't think that this new build was going to amount to anything at all, God said to them through Haggai that the latter splendor of this house, this, this thing that you regard as way inferior, the latter splendor of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give prosperity, shalom. The latter splendor being that Hebrew word kavod, which means glory, splendor, abundance. Wow. And prosperity being the word shalom, meaning completion and wholeness and soundness and welfare. In and through this present seemingly inferior rebuild, I'm going to do something that you cannot imagine right now. And we looked at that last week. But now, this whole thing of how do we get from this large and compelling vision that God sets before these people that, you know, it's going to be good. I'm going to give my shalom, my abundance. How are we going to get there from where we are right now? How do we get from vision to reality? There it is. The latter splendor will be greater I will give my shalom. There it is, the vision set before them. But, but what, now what follows this verse then seems at first glance to have very little to do with the project at hand. Because Haggai goes on to say, uh, and he poses a couple of questions to the priests that have to do with ceremonial uncleanness or cleanness. Now, what could that all possibly have to do with this great and grand vision? We have this prospect of God just overflowing us with glory and splendor and, and giving us his peace. And now we get this seemingly unrelated technical stuff about matters having to do with ceremonial uncleanness and cleanness. What could this possibly have to do with this bold vision for God's house? glorious future he has in mind. There it is, on the 24th day of the ninth month, second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests for a ruling. If one carries consecrated meat in the fold of one's garment, huh? and with the fold touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any other kind of food, does it become holy? So you're carrying something ceremonially clean and pure in your... I won't do that. And it touches some other food. Does that food, by, just by the touch, become ceremonially pure? And at this point, you're starting to nod off because this is getting boring. This is getting strange. It's getting weird. The priest said, no. No, that's, that's not going to happen. And then Haggai asked, if one who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? The priest answered, yes, it becomes unclean. Well, good, I'm glad we got that over with. But what, what would possibly this have to do with the, the matter that Haggai has just articulated from God, that there's this glory and peace of God that's coming, and now we're getting dug in deep on matters of technical ceremonialism 
Well, think of it this way. What is easier? What's easier? To climb or to slide? What's easier? Is that place over at St. Mary's where they have the tubing? Is that still going? We, we, we went there maybe 10 or 12 years ago. So what's easier? To climb without the help? To climb up the hill or to slide down the hill? Clearly, to slide is easier. Climbing takes some effort and work and commitment. Let me ask you, what's easier? To gain weight or to lose weight? I'm telling you, the older I get, the harder it is to lose weight. Because losing requires, unless there's some, you know, genetic factor or something like that, which, you know, but losing requires intention, commitment, vigilance, self-control. The one fruit of the Spirit that I usually forget when I rattle off the fruit of the Spirit. Self, what? Self, yeah. Self-indulgence? No, self-control. See, gaining requires none of the above, except perhaps intentionality to self-indulge, kind of like what I used to do at night. After supper, I get powerfully hungry, and it takes everything I've got not to go to the fridge, get the milk out, go to the cupboard, get the cereal out, get the biggest bowl I can find, fill her up, and then have the cereal with a side of uh, barbecue chips or Chicago mix um, popcorn. Bad. See, losing weight is harder. And my goodness, is it not easy to fall off the wagon? Twice in my life I've lost a nice bit of weight. A couple of years ago I lost 40 pounds. Imagine that. Pick up four 10-pound bags of potatoes. And that's what came off me. But boy... You start, you know, slipping a little bit. You start thinking, boy, I would like that chocolate bar. And you have it. And then you say, well, I'd like the one beside it and the one under it and the one that I hid four months ago before we started this craziness. Yeah, I know where it is. Grandkids didn't get it. Good. And how easy it is to, yes, put back every bit of that weight. What's harder? What's easier? To live holy? And godly in Christ Jesus, or to just let things slide. It seems that if I understand these questions right, it's easier to transmit unholiness than holiness. Holiness takes resolve, commitment, vigilance, self-control. The other is just, well, you know, let things slide, let things slide. You know, and here we're not talking about, okay, there are things that, that Christians honestly differ on. Can you do this? Can you do that? And the New Testament deals with some of them things. And then Paul says, whatever you do and whatever you think about certain things, and whatever you do, do everything as unto the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through, through him. So we get that. But here's what I think these seemingly irrelevant technicalities that Haggai throws into the mix with these questions has to do with all this. Because he then says, so it is with this people. And with the nation before me, says the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, whatever they offer there is unclean. Could it be that, that this might have to do with the peoples, these returned exiles 
Some of them dancing for joy. Some of them, you know, a little concerned that this might not be up to full scratch. But, but hey, we're in this together. And we got this future hope and vision ahead of us. And, and yet, what will it take to get there? You see, the people got to stay in the game. And could it be that this all has to do with their ongoing fitness to participate in the unfolding of God's great future? Is it possible to disqualify yourself from the blessings in progress of being unleashed? Here's something to hang, hang your hat on. How do we get from our reality to God's full vision? We won't get anywhere without clean hands and a pure heart. We just won't. Does it take intentionality and commitment for our hands to remain clean and our hearts to remain pure? You bet it does. What does it take to go the other route? Not a whole lot. We won't get anywhere without clean hands or a pure heart. Haggai says, you know, the history, and, and even, you know, here's a warning to the people, and it's that you cannot let a situation emerge where every work of your hands and whatever you offer the Lord is unclean because your own heart and hands have become unclean. Unless there's clean heart and a pure heart of genuine devotion behind the sacrifices and the offerings, they are actually unacceptable to God, having been touched by unclean hands connected to an impure heart. Going through mere ritualistic motions is not what God is seeking. Never has sought it, never will. The psalmist asks, after saying the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, who will ascend the hill of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? Who indeed? Just anybody at all that happens to show up? Hey, cool, there's a holy hill. Uh, what's the price of admission? Uh, you know, we could climb that, no problem. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? You know the answer, don't you? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who don't lift up their souls to what is false, and so on, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We're just not going to get there without clean hands, pure hearts. Amos would say, I, I hate and I despise your religious gatherings, your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me these lovely burnt offerings and grain, I will not accept them. I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Throw away your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Ah, there it is again. Kind of goes along with what Haggai's talking about, what the psalmist is, and what Micah would say about what God requires. Micah asked the question, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow before God on high? Shall I come with burnt offerings? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Is it about how much I bring? The sheer quantity Shall I give my firstborn? No, you shall not. He's told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Just show up. Just show up. That's all I'm at. Just show up. No, that's not what it says, is it? 
What does he require of you but to do justice? Love kindness. It's that Hebrew word that I can say with a mask on. Love has said. Love, faithfulness, loving kindness, mercy. Everything that's good that comes from God rolled up into that little Hebrew word. Love has said. And to walk humbly with your God. So how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? From vision to reality, not with unclean hands or impure hearts, but with clean hands and pure hearts that offer consecrated sacrifices and service. Uh, nobody brought a, a, anything to put on the burnt offering altar this morning. I'm really disappointed. No, I'm not. Because what we are to bring, according to Hebrews now, are the sacrifices and offerings of a, of a contrite heart and uh, to offer Him the sacrifice of praise, lips that have been <laughs> purified, as it were, touched with that coal off the altar to borrow from Isaiah, to do good. And I'm looking at a bunch of do-gooders, but not just any kind of do-gooders. Do-gooders that do good from hearts that are clean. And it takes some intentionality to keep it that way. That's why we have books by guys like Richard Foster, the celebration of the disciplines, the disciplines of a godly life, scripture and prayer and meditation and all kinds of good things and ways and means where, whereby we might practice godliness. And then what we offer, whatever it is that we do, do it unto the Lord giving thanks when we offer what we have. It's acceptable to him. Haggai says, you know, up to now things have not been great. Your offerings and your service, they've been contaminated by your lack of concern for heart devotion resulting in real holiness. And, and for more of, of the kinds of issues that would come up with these very people and their descendants, Read the last book of the, the Old Testament, at least the last book in, in the English order. last book in the Hebrew Old Testament is Second Chronicles. So, but, but read the last book, Malachi. And, and you find that there would be those among the people, say within a hundred years of this, who would uh, be questioning the value of serving God. What do we get by serving God? They began to ask. They would question the value of. They would offer unacceptable sacrifices. They say, "What's this? You're bringing in lambs that are blemished and this and that. Try offering some kind of gift like that to your governor and see what he would say about it." And you offer that to me. They would offer unacceptable sacrifice. They robbed God with the withholding of tithes and offerings. They were generally breaking covenant with God by their attitudes, behaviors, and character. But there was then, and there always is, actually, a remnant of people who respond to instruction and even rebuke after God bringing some of his complaints through the prophet to the people. It says, then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another. They said, well, we, we need to chat. We need to talk. We need to amend our ways. What were we thinking, questioning the value of serving God? 
Look at all he's done for us. What were we thinking? And it says, then the Lord took note and listened. A book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and thought on his name. These shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. My special possession on the day when I act. And I will spare them as parents spare their children. And, and, and then once more you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who really doesn't. There's always a remnant that respond and consider their ways. Haggai goes on in that same vein. But now, he says, consider what will come to pass from this day on. On the assumption that you understand what I'm saying to you with these questions and you recognize that it's so easy to slide and you can't do it. You mustn't do it. He says, consider what will come to pass from this day on. Before a stone was placed upon a stone in the Lord's temple, how did you fare? How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. Where was Jesus when we needed him to make more wine, you know? I struck you with all the products of your, of your toil with blight and mildew and hail. Yuck. Yet you didn't return to me, says the Lord, but consider now from this day on, from, Haggai loves specific dates, from the 24th of the ninth month, since the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, she says, today, this very day is a day of opportunity to get in on all the promised blessings. Is there any seed left in the barn? Do the vine, fig tree, pomegranate, and olive oil still yield nothing? Well, they're going to. From this day on, as you respond to this, the, the impact of what these questions are driving at, as you respond to that, as you look to the vision of God's glorious future, and you realize that how important it is to stay engaged in that, to keep hoping, to keep praying, to keep trusting, to be holy as I am holy, says God. All of that from this day on. Like right here, right now, 24th day of the month, I will bless you. I will bless you. How do we get from here to there, from vision to reality? We won't get there without clean hands and pure hearts. But having those, we're enabled to offer consecrated sacrifice and service in anticipation. See, we're not just going to be in this thing, oh, we just keep on doing, keep on doing, keep on trying, keep on struggling. No. Always holding before us, before our eyes, the anticipation of God's future favor starting this very day. It was the anticipation of God's favor that... that enabled Mrs. Claver to go into glory, to have hope realized. Same with Vera. See, we have set before our eyes the prospect of present and future blessing and present and future good. That as C.S. Lewis would say at the end of one of his books, and then the first day of eternity hit, and it's like, Every day was better than the last one. It's a beautiful quote. 
How do we get there? Take hold of this promise. From this day on, I will bless you. We take hold of our participation in that. And we hold before our eyes, as these people did, the latter splendor of that house would be greater. In that place, he would give prosperity. We talked a little bit about what that would entail. And hey, we are part of the fulfillment of that promise. Because as Jesus came and entered his temple, bringing the full glory of the fullness of God into that temple environment, he also declared that that temple would be destroyed, but he would rebuild. And what he rebuilt is a temple not made with stones, but made with living stones, made with you and me. As my song puts it, destroy this temple, I'll build anew with living stones, Gentile and Jew. Because zeal for my house, says Jesus, has consumed me. And here we are today, a realization of what God said to these people. It would have been a mystery to them. They, know, they never would have figured that all that God was talking about would emerge in what we are right now, a living temple filled with the very presence of the Spirit. But even this is not the final installment. We wait the day when the Lord whom we seek will suddenly come to His temple and we be reunited with Him. How do we get from here to there? That's how. See, building back better, to borrow from candidate Biden, his slogan, will not mean that this is a more impressive building, the one they put up in 520 B.C., because it wasn't. Building back better will not just mean getting a physical structure up and going, but rather a renewal of the people themselves. Clean hands and hearts offering consecrated service in anticipation of God's future with them, through them, and for them. It always was this way, and it always will be. Perhaps it's time to take a pause to just you and the Lord talk together. I can't have you turn and talk to each other like the people in Malachi, unless you're from the same bubble. But you know what? Just between you and the Lord, have a chat about the state of your heart and the cleanliness of your hands, because going forward, we got to keep them pure and clean. Knowing that it's not just up to us. We have the Spirit's help. We have a God who is for us, not against us. And He wants us, so oh, He wants us to stay engaged and stay in the game and not let anything dissuade us. Whatever disappointment or tick off, have a little chat just, just, just between God and yourself right now. And... If he reveals anything, then just, just, you know what to do. Search me, he says. And see if there is within me any way which is not pleasing to you and lead me in the everlasting way. So, Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.